I can still hear the words of my Fayed teacher. Okay, line up. Captains, choose your teams. Those may have been the most anxiety-inducing, sweat-producing nine syllables ever. And one by one, I was left standing, wondering to my sweaty self, will anyone choose me? Because deep down, if we're honest, no one wants to be picked last. I think that same feeling can translate into how we structure our lives, too. Because surely, there's no shortage of things to choose first. Our careers, that me time or tea time we've ignored for far too long. Kids' sporting events and recitals, not to mention our social lives. Family time, finally spending whatever little time, money, and energy we have left on things others tell us we need. We've chosen everything first, except for God. And while I'm sure his self-esteem is far more sound than mine was in gym class, the truth is, he doesn't want to be chosen last either. In fact, he wants nothing more than for us to realize we've been approaching it all backwards. As we've poured into what we think should come first, we eventually run dry and only see a fraction of the life we could. But God offers us an entirely different approach altogether. He invites us to show him love by giving our first and best to him. And as we obediently respond to that call, we often get to see a health and vibrancy elsewhere that we couldn't have otherwise seen any other way. We just need to take a time out, pull up the gym socks of life, and begin to choose first things first. Well, hey, good morning, Eden Prairie. How are you? Yeah, oh, good. It's so good to get to be with you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Brad Herndon. I serve as our Edina campus pastor. So it's exciting for me to get to be over here, to get to be with you. But every single Sunday, every weekend, I don't know if you know this about Wooddale, but we're one church that in, is in separate locations. And so we take the same message, the same mission, the same hope and love of Jesus, and we get to spread it into the communities that God has placed us in. And so I'm so thankful for what God is doing across all of our campuses and to get to be here with you this weekend as we start a brand new series called First Things First. And it's all just a series about priorities, that, that how do we give the more importance to the more important things in our life? How do we give more value and, and more energy uh, to the things that really matter? And the whole reason why we're doing this series is because uh, keeping first things first doesn't come easy to us, right? In fact, the whole reason the saying became a saying in the first place. The whole reason why it's still around, it came about about a few hundred years ago, we think. The whole reason why it's still around after a few hundred years is that we haven't really gotten any better at this. That we struggle with this. That, that you and I struggle with keeping first things first. And in fact, and I just, just kind of honest time of confession before we jump in. If you just would look at the past week or two, has anyone else, would you be willing to raise your hand, has anyone else at any point felt completely overwhelmed? Yes? Okay, so a lot of us in here, anyone felt like they were busier than they wanted to be, distracted, interrupted? I love the way that Pastor Trent from Loring Park put it. We were in a meeting this week and he says, I just feel like there's so much going on, I don't even know what's going on. And so, in fact, in our house just not long ago, my wife and I, at the end of a long day, we just, we just looked at each other and, and one of us said, I just, I don't feel like I'm giving the best parts of myself to what matters most. Have you ever had one of those days? You ever had one of those weeks? Yes, we, we spend so much time, time trying to make sure that we have something in the tank for everything and the result is nothing gets our best. And that's such a hard place, a tiring and stressful place to live, but it makes sense that that's where we're at because 
in the course of all of human history, we have more things to give our time and energy to than ever before. That we, we have more options to give ourselves to. We have more obligations. We have more opportunities. We have more technology. We have more activities. We have more things that we can give ourselves to than ever before. And that means that, that keeping first things first is harder than ever. But it also means that it's more important than ever. In fact, just look at how we define a priority. This is from Webster. who says that a priority is something that is more important than other things and that needs to be done and dealt with first. And that's such an important word in this series and in this service, that done and dealt with first, first, first. Now for us to get priorities right, we have to pay attention to something. And it's this, put that definition back up. Something, it says something, not some things, something. Part of the reason why we struggle with priorities is because we let there be more than one of them. But for something to be first, there can only be one of them. So what if we could actually live and go throughout our week living for the one thing that matters most? Making sure that we give our best time and energy to the thing that matters above all things. Now here at Wooddale, we, we really believe that the most important part of a person's life, that the, the most important thing about them is their relationship with God. And so everything that we do as a church, everything that we offer as a ministry or as an activity or that you see in your service handout or in the lobby, every one of those things that aimed at, is aimed at helping you and people in our lives find that relationship with God and grow in that relationship. Now, if you're here this morning and that's not where you're at, if God is not the first thing in your life, you don't want and it's not necessarily what you're ready for. Maybe you're checking out God and faith. Maybe you are here for the first time. You came as an invitation, after an invitation from someone. Maybe you're here a little bit reluctantly or just under protest. Maybe you lost a bet. I don't know what brought you to church this weekend. <laughs> but no matter what it is, um, that's what we would love for you. But even if that's not what you have in mind for yourself, I want to first of all say thanks for being here. Thanks for taking a chance on us. Thanks for giving some of your week uh, to, this, to us and, and here this, this morning. But also, thanks for being so honest that that's what you want for yourself. And, but I want to encourage you, don't, don't tune out during this time together. Because even if there's something else that you want to be first in your life, if you take the principles and things that we're talking about in this sermon, they could be just as relevant and practical for you as well. Okay, deal? So we're going to jump into the first pages of Scripture. We're going to go all the way back, speaking of first. We're going back to Genesis. And if you want to pull out your Bibles, you can. Genesis 4, or we're going to have it up on the TV here so you could follow along with me. And uh, we read about two brothers, Cain and Abel. And it says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, when I read that passage for the first time, I was like, what? I mean, we've got offerings and sacrifices and sibling rivalry and jealousy and resentment and anger and then murder and then lies and, and even eventually expulsion. And I'm like, 
wow, this is, this is a heavy passage. Like, are we sure we're going to jump into this? When, when Pastor Dale asked me if I would preach this weekend and he sent me the text, I read it and I was like, maybe Kyle should take this one. I don't know. But I believe that, that this is God's word and I think it has something to say to us if we let it. All right, and so whenever we jump into Genesis... Um, we need to remember that we're not just reading a story about how everything began. We're actually reading about what it means to be in relationship with God, okay? And so in Genesis chapter 1, what we find out is that God created everything. Maybe we've heard that before. God created the heavens and the earth, the land and the sea, the sun and the moon, the, the fish of the sea and, and the creatures of the earth. But the height of his whole creation, the climax of it all, was people. That God created people, Adam and Eve. And Genesis 2 kind of zooms in on God's creation of people. And it tells us that what makes Adam and Eve, what makes people so special above all of creation, is that they were created to live in a relationship with God. That nothing else in creation shares that same purpose. And that's true for you and me too, that we were created for a relationship with God. Now, God being a loving God did not force Adam and Eve into this relationship, that he gave them a choice of what to do with that relationship. And so in chapter 3, we see that Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and that they began to run from God. In fact, every page of scripture past this point is the account of people, humanity, running from God and God running after them. And that's the story that you and I live in too. You see, the struggle of Adam and Eve is a struggle that we share in too, that sometimes we, we turn our backs on that relationship with God, but it doesn't stop God from running after us. And so in Genesis chapter 4, we read about some of Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, two brothers. And now, now Cain was a farmer and uh, Abel was a shepherd. And so it tells us that they each brought an offering to God. Cain being a farmer, he brought some of the, some of the, the, the fruit of his field. And, and Abel being a shepherd, he brought some of the sheep from his herd. And that's where things start to get a little dicey. Verse 4 tells us, that the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And it begs a question. It begs a big, important question. And that question is, why? Why would God accept one of the brother's offerings and not the other? Why would God look with favor? Why would he accept and see and receive Abel and his offering and reject Cain's? Was there a different in, difference in size? Was Abel's bigger than Cain's? Was it more valuable then Cain's, did God pre prefer shepherds over farmers? Did he prefer meat over veggies? Did, did Abel have some set of instructions, of guidelines for making offerings that, that Cain didn't have? Was God just playing favorites? I mean, what's, what's going on here? And none of those are actually the answer to that question. See, the text doesn't push us that direction, but through a few subtle but significant details, we learn that why God accepted Abel's offering is because God was first in his life. And he rejected Cain's because he wasn't first in Cain's life. And so we're going to dig into some of those subtle details. And as we do, what we're going to learn here is this, is that giving your first to God isn't just what you give God. It's the sequence and the sincerity in which you give it. That giving your first to God isn't just what you give God, it's the sequence and the sincerity in which you give it. And that's why this strange passage, this ancient passage from the first pages of Scripture can be so meaningful for you and me today. Because it, as followers of Jesus, when you're in a relationship with God, you're giving parts of yourself to God, aren't you? 
In fact, that's true of anything that you're in relationship to. Unavoidably, you're giving parts of yourself to whatever it is that you're in relationship to. So in a relationship with God, just think about today, right now, you're giving God your time. You're giving God your attention. That when you become a Christian, a follower of Jesus in the first place, you're giving God your very life. That in baptism, like we're going to celebrate at all of our campuses next week, in baptism, we give God our identity, our loyalty. We give him our obedience and our testimony and witness to this world. That we give these things to God. And in fact, right now, we've been giving God our worship, our devotion. We've been giving God our prayers. We even give God our finances and our money. And in fact, Jesus spends a lot of time in the New Testament talking about our finances and our money. In fact, he talks more about money than any other topic. And it sometimes makes us scratch our heads and wonder, like, God, does, do you really care that much about money? Do you really worry and think that much about our money? And the answer is no. He doesn't. But he knows that we do. And so he talks about it because he knows that we think so much about it. And he wants to help us understand our relationship with our money. So even later in the series, we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper and talk about how do we have a healthy relationship with our money. And, and whether we're talking about giving of our money or our time or our worship or our prayers, what we give is a reflection of our relationship with something. But if we limit the conversation just to what we give and not how we give it, the sequence and the heart and sincerity in which we give it, well, then we miss so much of what it means to give your first. We miss so much, we miss so much of what it means to put and keep first things first. So we're going to unpack and dig into these two things, sequence and sincerity. So what is sequence? Sequence is when you, you give your first to what's first in your life. Let's all say that bottom line together, all right? You give first to what's first in your life. That in our relationship with God, order and sequence matters. And so look back at Genesis 4 with me. It says, in the course, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now there's already a distinction, this subtle clue in the passage here. And it's right here that Cain brought some... And Abel brought the first. In fact, if you look at some of the other translations, it makes that distinction even more clear. It helps us see that even more clearly. That Cain brought some and Abel brought first. The picture here is that Cain, remember, he's a farmer. So he goes and harvests his crops. He brings them all in. He kind of looks at them and says, okay, I'm going to set this, side of, this portion aside for my family. I'm going to set this, this aside just to save for maybe, you know, a rainy day, a long winter. I'm going to put this. We're going to maybe trade this portion off, sell some of it off. And this, this is what's going to be for God. And that may have even been a sizable portion we don't know that it was or wasn't, but it could have been. But Abel, what he does is he, he retrieves the firstborn of his herd of sheep. He takes the first, the strongest and the healthiest. There may not have even been any other sheep born at this point, but he takes the first and he offers it to God. Now in the Old Testament, the first of anything carried such immense significance was set apart from everything else. And the firstborn of a family, of all of the children of a family, the firstborn had certain honor and privileges that the other children didn't. Now, I'm the youngest of four kids in my family. And you better believe I'm not going to be repeating that to my siblings at Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks, right? No, I'd, I'd tell my siblings that our parents kept having kids until they finally got it right. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be repeating that at Thanksgiving either because I will be put out on the curb. So, no, uh, the firstborn, there was a value and honor and distinction to it. And even in the harvest, there was something called the first fruits. 
that as soon as the first of the harvest would come in, the best part of the harvest, as soon as it came in, that it would be immediately given away to God. And the image here is that Abel gave God his first, his best, his finest, but Cain gave God the leftovers. Cain gave God the crumbs, so to speak. Now what we do with the first of what we've been given matters. For one, it shows gratitude. It's a recognition that God is, a, God is the creator of all life. In fact, Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And I have to think that for Cain and for Adam and Eve and for their kids, this had to be something that was a little bit easier for them to remember than for us living, living so, much, so much later. Because remember, just a page or two ago in scripture, there was nothing. And then God all of a sudden created everything. And he takes the keys to this world and he tosses it to Adam and Eve and says, here, now it's yours to take care of. And so Abel, Abel remembered that. Cain didn't. And see, Cain, I think, he confused uh, what he had been given for what he had gotten for himself. And I think that's something that you and I can be guilty of slipping into as well. That we confuse what we've been given for what we've gotten for ourselves. In fact, I was, a couple weeks ago, I was, uh, was trick-or-treating with our kids. And we have four kids as well. And so we were running around our neighborhood. Now our kids, they will not run around with those small plastic kind of cute Halloween buckets. All the parents are laughing like, yeah. Um, the cute buckets, you know, because they're, they're, they're running around with king-size pillowcases. All right. <laughs> They're showing up, and they, and they fully expect to fill those bad boys to the brim. And my wife and I, we've got no shame. We're fine with that because that will last school lunches for a year. So they're running around, and then they, they kind of get all their, their candy. They come back at the end of the night. We have this farmhouse kind of long kitchen table, and they're all sitting around it, and they take their pillowcases, and they dump them out on the table. And I love it. Maybe you did this when you were a kid. And they take all their candy, they start to sort, sort it out, and all of a sudden it turns into a scene from the New York Stock Exchange. It's like... I'll give you four baby Snickers for one full-size Twix or 12 pretzels for a Skittles or whatever. And, and they know that my favorite candy of the whole world, my favorite candy is Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Right? Anybody else? Can I get an amen? Yes. Wow. All right. Check this out. Woo. All right. Where are you? Where are you? Who likes Reese's? There we go. Coming to you. Uh, oh, <laughs> good catch. That actually is courtesy of Kyle Robinson. He was listening last night and showed up this morning and gave me that. So thank you, Kyle. Uh, and, and here's a hint. Throw that in the refrigerator overnight. Next, tomorrow, heaven on earth. There you go, okay? Uh, so they know that my favorite is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. And so I'm kind of walking around watching them enjoy this. And I just begin to lean over and I see a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup and I start to pull it. And before I can, there's a small arm that just goes, wah! knocks my arm out of the way. And I'm like, what are you doing? There's like 30 Reese's peanut butter cups there. And my son looks at me and says, no, I got that for me. You see, we can so easily confuse what we've been given with what we've gotten for ourselves. That we got it, that we earned it, that it's ours. In fact, Cain, the, 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 Cain's name means to get. Because I think Cain confused what he had been given for what he had gotten for himself. And so giving our first shows gratitude. It also shows faith. Look what Hebrews 11.4 says. Centuries later, this, this incident in Genesis is still recorded. It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke of his offerings. It says it was, it was made possible by faith. Because when we give God our first, 
We're trusting him to take care of the rest. We're not waiting to see and set aside a portion. We're giving him our first and trusting him to take care of the rest. Giving our first to God shows gratitude and it also shows faith. And so if you're looking for just an area of your life, a simple area that we all have to practice giving your first to God in, I want to encourage you, just, just look at your time. Just consider your time, what you, what you do with the first of your time. In fact, uh, just, just think for a moment, moment, what's the first thing you do in the morning after you wake up? What's the first thing you do? And, and, and I'm not talking about like brushing your teeth, okay? Like let's assume all of the essentials have been taken care of. What's, what's lean over to someone next to you. Maybe you came in with someone. Maybe there's a friendly face. If there's someone that looks like they're going to bite, you have permission to turn the other way. But take a, have a conversation. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Take 10 seconds, talk to someone, and I'm going to pull you back here in a second. All right, we're going to pull the room here, and that includes you two, Balcony. So um, first thing you do in the morning, how many of you, first thing you do is you grab your sneakers and you grab a run or you hit the gym or some sort of exercise? Anybody? All right, yeah. Good for you. All right. The rest of us go, wow. (laughs) All right, how many of you, that's not your thing, but getting the coffee going stat is your thing. It's coffee ASAP, yes? A lot more of you than you and me both. Um, how many of you, the first thing you do in the morning is you get showered, dressed, and you're in the car, and you're on the pavement before, before the rest of the world wakes up? Like, you're in the office before anyone else comes in. Is that anyone? Yeah? There's the productivity people, the driven people. Good for you. All right. And how many of you, the first thing you do in the morning is you hit the snooze button? Yes? Back to sleep. There you go. Thanks for being honest. Well, in 2017, Fast Company Magazine uh, did a survey of Americans, and, and 46% of Americans all said that they, this is the number one thing, all said they do the same first thing in the morning. And you know what it is? Check their phones. Yeah, check their phones. Now some of you are like, oh, yes, I do do that first thing in the morning. And you're like, oh, I thought you said that not the little stuff. Well, I know what happens when I open my email in the morning. Then the rest of an hour is, taken, is, is spoken for at that point, right? Yeah, 46% of Americans, they check their phone first thing in the morning. In fact, of that percentage, 62% of Americans, they're checking their email or the social media. Uh, 11% are reading the news. And 10% are finishing a game of words with friends with their people. <laughs> so, but what is that? What we do with the first of our time says what's important to us, doesn't it? What it says about us is that it's important to us that we're willing to give the first and best moments of our time to staying connected with our world and with the people in our lives. Now, that's not in and of itself a bad thing. Let's be clear. But do we share, do we have that same urgency and priority for staying connected with God? You see, King David, I have to think, when you're the king of a nation, you've got a few responsibilities on your plate. But he wrote in Psalm 27, he said, one thing, the first thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, to gaze upon your beauty. Psalm 63, he writes, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. There's urgency in these verses. You can hear what's important to David. In fact, the gospel writers record a a consistent pattern in Jesus' life. It says that Mark 1, that very early, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and spent time with his father that he, he prayed. 
Now, I'm not, an, I'm not an, uh, a morning person, and so that one's a little hard for me. And I know that you can spend meaningful time with God at any point in the day, but do you? Is that a priority for you? Do you protect it as much as you do the other things in your life? Or do you let other things steal that time? What do you do with the first of your day? What do you do with the first of your week? You see, it says something about you that you're here right now. Because you believe, you know that there's something important about being here and that your week's going to be different because of it. And that's been happening ever since the first, of the first years of the church, that the church was in existence 2,000 years ago. Is that Christians, followers of Jesus, would come together and that we would prioritize and protect this time. And I was thinking about this uh, this week when I went to Costco. And I have this like love-hate relationship with Costco. Um, and, but we try, in our house, we try to avoid going to Costco like as much as necessary, just because, especially if it's a Saturday, like don't even bother, like the rest of Minnesota is there at the same time. But we wait, this is how we do Costco's, we wait until our shelves are about as depleted as possible. And then, then we just make a day of it, we hop in the car and we grab one of those behemoth shopping carts that need turn signals. And you get into the, the store and you just go and you pile it up and you get everything that you need and you hope it lasts you as long as you can and you get home and, and hopefully it's a month or two until you have to be back. Has that ever described your relationship with church? Does that describe your relationship with the church now? You see, we sing this song, and it's one of my favorite songs. I've been singing since I was a kid, and it kind of transcends traditional and modern because it's got these powerful lyrics. It says, come thou fount of every blessing. And the next lyric is, tune my heart to sing thy grace. And I love that because I know what it's like to have an out-of-tune heart, don't you? See, it doesn't take long to, to, to be in our week or to be in this world and have just the forces of this world strumming on the strings of our heart for our hearts to go out of tune. But when we come together and when your heart and my heart get tuned to the heart of God, which is what happens when we worship, which is what happens when we open up God's word, which is what happens when we praise, our hearts are retuned into this beautiful chorus in harmony with the heart of God. And that's what we need. And so what that means is not only is this time important, we need to protect it. We need to guard it because so many times I know I have to be here because it's my job. But, but you, that doesn't, maybe not as true for you. And so when there's conflicts, when things happen, I know that it's easy for this to, to cave. And, but what if it didn't? What if we prioritized and valued this more than the other things? What if we guarded it and not just came but showed up, showed up on time, showed up early. And I know it's a miracle to make it out the door on a Sunday morning, especially if you've got kids in tow. But just to be here and came and expected God to tune your heart. How would that change how special this time is for us? What you do with the first of your week, what you do with the first of your time. Sequence matters. Not just sequence, though. Giving your first to God is also about sincerity. See, putting God first means paying attention to the condition of your heart. Read that with me. Putting God first means paying attention to the condition of of your heart. Sincerity is all about that what's, what's in my heart is the same thing that's what out, what's out of my heart. That, that in my heart lines up with my attitudes and my actions, that it's true without pretense, without hypocrisy. And Cain's struggle wasn't just that his, his, sequ- that his priorities were out of order. His struggle probably more so was that his heart was in the wrong place. Genesis tells us here, verse 5, it says, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. 
first time I read that, I was thinking, well, yeah, I mean, his offering had just been rejected by God. I'd be a little upset too, you know, maybe a little embarrassed, maybe a little ashamed, maybe a little confused. Did I get, did I get something wrong? And so, you know, and his face was downcast. He's sad about that. That makes sense. But the English doesn't quite deliver the intensity of what he was feeling. That the Hebrew has, shows us that he wasn't just angry, he was hot. He was burning with anger. All right, and this isn't sorrowful remorse. This is blazing resentment, not resentment at himself, not even resentment at his brother. It was resentment at God. That God would have the audacity to reject the offering that he had so freely given him, right? And so he, since he couldn't take out that resentment on God, he takes it out on the next closest thing. He takes it out on his brother, takes him into a field and he kills him. But, not, but before he does, God shows up and God tells him. See, God gives him a chance. God always cares about the condition of our hearts, church. And God tells him, he says, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Sin is crouching at your door. What a, what a picture. The door to what? The door of his heart. Now, sin is not crouching to get into his heart. It's already there. That's what happened in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve. And that's true of you and me too, that that's, that's where sin can reside. Sin is crouching at the door to get out, to, to influence his attitude and his actions. And God is saying, you must master it. Don't be slave to it because your heart is always the battlefield of your devotion to God. The biggest and hardest fought battles of your life will be fought on the grounds of your heart. In fact, this is a struggle that we see on and on in the, in the Old Testament with the Israelite people. That, that uh, Isaiah 29 says, these people come near to me with their lips to honor me. That's worship. And we come near to God with our lips to honor him. But their hearts are far from me. Hosea 6.6 6 says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than burnt offerings. Do you hear that relational language? Do you hear what matters to God? See, the condition of our hearts determine the condition of our worship. Spurgeon wrote, the great preacher, he said, if we have not thrown our heart into it, then depend on this, God will not take it to his heart and be pleased with it. And what I know from my life is that it's so easy for insincerity to creep from our hearts. That insincerity shows up in our worship when, when it becomes little more than just reading the lyrics off the screen. And our heart's not in it. Or when it becomes about what I can get from God and not what I can give to God. And both of those things happen. But when we value the one over the other, we're insincere. Insincerity can creep from our hearts when our serving, and, and know this, church, you are a serving church. And as your pastors, we are so grateful and thankful for a church who is so passionate about serving. But it can be insincere when our serving becomes about an obligation. Or when it comes, it comes with the condition that we be recognized or to be thanked. Or to check something off a list. When that happens, we're on dangerous territory. The insincerity is when our prayer life becomes uh, uh, about a routine or about a, a, a check mark or to impress others with the frequency of our prayer life. Insincerity can happen uh, in our Bible study when it becomes more about learning about God than it does becoming like God and living with the heart of God in our lives in this world. You see, you see it's, it, when our activity for God 
eclipses our affection for God, we're in dangerous territory. When our devotion for God is defined by our duty for God, when our relationship with God is reduced to a routine for God, we are in dangerous territory and sin is crouching at our door. And so if we consider, are we more like Cain in his giving and offering? Are we more like Abel in his worship and his offering? The truth of the matter is, if we're honest with ourselves, we're more like Cain. That that's our tendency and that's our inclination. But here's the good news, church. You see, Cain was never beyond God's grace. Even when he withheld his first, even when he got it wrong, even when he was burning with anger, even when he was resenting God down to the core of his being, even when he murdered his brother and lied about it, even when he completely underestimated the love of God, he was not beyond God's grace. And so if you've ever found yourself insincere, if God has ever slipped from first place in your life, if that's where you are right now, you need to know you are not outside of God's grace. In fact, what we need to remember most above all things is that giving your first to God isn't just about what we give God, it's seeing that he gave his first for you. See, the irony of this whole passage is that, is that Cain, Abel, he got it right. He gave his first and yet he died and Cain lived. Abel... Or Cain, on the other hand, he got it wrong, and yet he lived. One got it right, and he died, and the other didn't, and he lived. And a couple centuries later, centuries later, another Abel, a new and a better Abel would show up, Jesus. And he would offer his first for you and for me, yet he would die. And we would live in the blessing of his offering and his sacrifice. You see, this doesn't have as much to do with what we do or even how we do it. It has to do with what's been done for you. If we want to get this right, giving your first to God starts by seeing that God gave his first for you. And so just as we wrap up, an honest inventory of your heart. What's its condition today? What's first in your heart? What do you want it to be? And what I've learned is that uh, it doesn't... Change doesn't happen overnight. In fact, in fact, you're going to be at a, we're going to wake up to a new battle tomorrow and a new battle the next day and then the next day. But so, so if you've ever been discouraged by this, let me propose this for you. That it's not something you have to do for yourself. It starts by seeing what's been done for you. And the reason why God gave his first for you is because you're what's first in his heart. And because of that, he didn't offer you his first out of duty or out of obligation. He didn't do it half-heartedly. He didn't do it expecting anything in return. He didn't give you the leftovers. He gave you his very best, his very first, and his son Jesus on a cross. That he gave his first for you. That there is absolutely nothing that you can do that would make God love you any more. That there is nothing that you have done or will do in the future that would make him love you any less. See, God isn't asking anything of you that he hasn't already done for you, church. He gave you his first. And that changes everything.